Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I mean, who doesn't love a sad song? They're needed in the world. Help everyone. Bong, bong, bong. Hello, campers. Will Young here and Amy at the Wellbeing Lab podcast. I'm excited, also very sweaty. Amy, why am I wearing plaid when I'm in my hot attic? God only knows. We're going to talk to Sarah Calvert, who's a psychotherapist and specialises in communication within relationships and a few other things. I just love communication and I actually start by telling her, rather geekily, why I love it so much. So, just before we started recording, I said to you that this is one of my favourite topics, communication, and you said, you asked why, so I'm going to tell you, um, because I think, my, in fact I know, learning about healthy, boundaried, appropriate communication has literally changed my life, and I just wish that we were all taught it. I think communication, uh, lapses in communication, is probably one of the biggest problems in the world yeah so that's why I love it and then I get to speak to someone like you who's an expert in it well thank you for having me thank you gosh where do we start with such a big topic I know it's massive isn't it well let's okay let's let's think about this where do people go wrong with communication so I think some of the pitfalls is maybe familiarity can breed contempt in relationships so we take our partners for granted and we stop communicating because the longer we're with people, it provides an opportunity to get a deeper, a deeper level of communication and emotional intimacy. But sometimes that doesn't work. So sometimes people don't go down that route and they end up making assumptions about what the other person likes, wants, needs, what they're thinking. And also expecting the other person to become so attuned to them, like maybe mothers with their babies, and that they don't have to say anything at all. So that's a key thing that I see in my work. And then people getting upset that their partner isn't so attuned to them in that way. And I think another one is that we just haven't been taught really how to do communication. We learn from our family of origin how to communicate. So I think some of the pitfalls are not listening and not validating people. And sometimes instead of listening to understand, we listen to reply. So we have an internal dialogue going on in our minds, don't we? You might give some advice. You might be thinking about a me too moment. Oh yeah, that reminds me of this thing. So you're, you're playing all this over in your head without actually listening to what that person's saying. Gosh, now that is so interesting. I've never heard someone sort of put it so succinctly like that. So we're replying almost sort of within the narrative that we want to, the script that we sort of want. Yeah. So not truly listening. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got all this stuff going on and we're formulating a response before the person's even stopped talking. 
So we're only halfway listening at best most of the time, I think. That's so true. And I wonder why people have such, well, I have a theory, but why do you think people have such a problem in actually listening? And I might even use the word sort of truly hearing people. Well, in my experience, it might be because people are feeling like they need to defend themselves. So they need to get in there and they need to make an excuse or validate themselves. Maybe it's because we're not really sometimes brought up to actually be with other people's feelings and sit with them and see what's going on with them. I find it a bit overwhelming. Yes, we're not brought up to be with people's feelings. And the defensiveness is really interesting to me because particularly, let's say, in relationships, the idea that I might have done something to offend someone else, can I cope with the idea that I might have unknowingly done something to distress someone? Yeah. And people often jump on the defensive, don't they? or even then the offensive, which I guess is sort of a form of defence as well. And I think we're programmed to act in this world, aren't we? Not be. So our minds are already conditioned in that way that we are, okay, let's do, let's do, what do we need to do? So if somebody's upset or needs, we think that they need a solution, our minds might even, it might not be defensiveness, but we might be conditioned to act and make things better for people. That's so true. And actually, I'm thinking about hearing you say earlier that you were nervous and, and I, I gave a deliberate response and I genuinely meant it as well, which was to repeat back what I'd heard from you and validate that rather than what often people might do. More sirens in the background, they're coming to get me, is initially and maybe from that desire to act and solve, go, don't be nervous. Yeah. 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 And then that makes that person wrong. It makes them wrong, doesn't it? It makes them wrong. When you see couples that maybe want to talk to you about communication, do you have to work a lot on the way they address each other, the language that they're using? Yes. Sometimes when people go into communication, that's a bit more challenging. They become quite emotive. So they're not really mindful about how they communicate. And they say things that they might not mean. But generally, I think in life, we're used to chat, 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 things coming out of our mouth. And we don't really have much mindfulness about what we're saying, the tone of voice we're saying. And actually, whether we mean what we're saying. Do we actually mean that? Is that really what we mean? Or is it something else? Gosh, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think we probably do often say things that maybe we don't even mean. Yeah. And are we just doing that to sort of fill air? I think it can be filling air, but also I think it's a lack of communication with oneself. So I think that's where you first need to start, a communication with yourself. And think about what do I need? What's my thoughts? What are my feelings about that? How am I feeling? How my body's feeling? How do I react in certain situations? Then we can communicate with other people. But people don't do that first bit. So we go in and we, it's almost like a vomiting over somebody. It's unprocessed material. And that makes sense because actually I hadn't thought about it, but the first step of communicating with oneself and working out what one's needs and wants are, and also I guess that it's all right to ask for those. So I'm wondering, is one of the barriers to that that you've never learned to get to ask for your needs and wants, and maybe you don't have high self-esteem or self-worth to think that you're worth asking for your wants. Yeah, 
I think that goes back to the templates that we form about ourselves and the world around us from our childhood. So we have we have this template and then we we put it on every situation and it basically formulates in the environment that we've been brought up in with our caregivers. We get an idea about what we're worth and how we can trust other people. I tell you, literally just before we started recording, I was having lunch with my friend. He'd very sweetly come around to cook me lunch and his hands were covered in paprika. He likes to put all sorts of things on food. And we were eating on the table and I said, oh, would you, and I was looking at his hands for ages and I was thinking, he's going to get that paprika on my table and it's going to stain. And in the past, I wouldn't have done this, but I said, would you mind if I, could I ask you to go and wash your hands? I said, because I'm nervous about my table staining and I'm seeing the paprika on your hands and um, it makes me nervous. And, and he said, yeah, of course. He said, oh, but the paprika would add to the nice rust of the table. And I said, well, it might for you, but it wouldn't for me. And it's my table. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have communicated that yeah. 10 years ago. And I probably would have sat and got quite annoyed about it. And then he might have even left. And I would have thought, God, he comes around here. Would have forgotten that he'd beautifully come around to cook me food, bought the food, and he would have left. And I would have thought, well, he's come around here and his hands are covered in paprika. And let's say he did stay in the table. And I would just be annoyed about that, but I hadn't, hadn't even communicated it to him. Yeah. And when you said it, how did that feel? Well, it was fine. Of course he was fine. And if he'd had a problem with it, well, I guess it would have been his problem. I think I said it in a caring way. But it's a good example of how maybe in the past, because I would have been scared of making someone uncomfortable, or I would have thought, oh, he'll just think I'm being so picky that I wouldn't have said it. Yeah. But then I would have hung on to being quite angry about it. Communication involves us being a bit vulnerable, doesn't it? It involves us actually speaking our needs and our wants and maybe saying to people, that's not okay for me. Yes. And that takes a bit of trust. You've got to trust the other person and trust yourself that you're going to be okay. Because ultimately what we're frightened of, I think, a lot of the time is rejection and abandonment. That's at the very core. We might not be very conscious about that. But at the very core, if we really drill down into it, often people in couples will tiptoe around issues because they don't want to upset the other person. And they're worried about that. And then if you drill down a bit more, why don't they want to upset the other person? Well, it's because of fear of abandonment, rejection. They might leave. They might leave. Or you might upset that person so much they might not be the same. So once you get over the first sort of hurdle if you like of someone learning to communicate with themselves how do you then help couples communicate with each other as there sort of certain language that is useful slash not useful is there certain physical space that is more useful than others I heard someone say once never argue in the car but I suppose that's because you're side by side yeah what kind of things what kind of measures that can people take to aid in communication? Well, first of all, as you say, it's knowing yourself and knowing why you might not be completely truthful and honest to bring, bring all of yourself into the communication. I think once you've got that, then you're sort of halfway there. And then I'd say it's about really being mindful about what you want to say and the meaning of things for you. So there's a lot of people that come into my consulting room and it's a, it's as an example, I'm really, really angry, keeps leaving the toothpaste top off, the toothpaste or 
can't step the dishwasher. And you think, what is, what is going on here? Because it's never about the dishwasher. Never about the dishwasher. It's about what the action means to the person. So they're going to attribute a meaning. Is it, I'm not listened to, I'm not cared for, I'm not valued, they don't look after things, they don't look after me. So what is it? What's at the core of that? So I think one needs to be quite clear about the meaning of things. And you need to take a few moments to think about that. So you'll often hear perhaps slightly sort of everyday, seemingly menial things come up. And actually, it's about what's going on underneath those actions and activities. Yeah. And someone told me the importance once of talking from the I position. Yeah. Using nice statements and not sweeping generalisations. You're always doing this. You always make a mess. You always do this. You always do that. If you've got a bit of a bugbear, go down to what's happening in the here and now. So use that one example rather than sweeping everything up and giving it to the other person. And is it okay to say to your partner, you're doing this? And do we tie it in with, so something I learned in, in tre treatment and group therapy was when I experience you doing this, what comes up for me? So I'm sort of never really on the attack because I always feel sometimes when people immediately come in and go, I mean, the classic thing is, well, you made me feel like this. I'm sure yeah. you hear that a lot. Well, when you did that, you made me feel an idiot. Yeah. So it is exactly what you've just said, Will. It's, it's describing the behaviour and then saying what happens for you with that behaviour. So when you leave the top of the toothpaste tube, it makes me feel undervalued, uncared for, not listened to. I'm sorry about that. I will try better. Please do. And I suppose also we have to talk. I mean, this sounds an obvious thing, but we have to talk just for ourselves. I remember once being in a situation and someone was saying, well, everyone's thinking this. And I remember saying to the person, I can't deal with everyone. I'm only dealing with you. I feel like, I mean, sometimes I call it fighting dirty, that people will bring in, well, your mother says that as well. You know, they'll bring in other people. Do you come across that ever? Well, yes, because I think they're trying to validate their position, aren't they? So they're not comfortable with just sitting with what they're feeling themselves. They have to bring in everybody else to back up the fact that they're, they're experiencing something. And we don't know what everybody else is really experiencing. No. And I think just going back to what you were saying about how you bring up things that you're maybe upset with, it's about avoiding criticism. You can complain about the behaviour, but that's different to a personal attack criticism, isn't it? Can you give us an example of that? I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So you're always doing this. You're always doing that. Everybody says so. Rather than actually when this happens, I feel like that. I have a request for you to go and wash your hands before you sit at the table so you don't cover it in paprika. Yes. They're bringing that request in as well. So they actually know what to do to change it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
And does there have to be a boundary there? Is there a, a request and also, and if that doesn't happen? Well, it's better if you've both got a request in, <laughs> um, and then you can say whether you want to take up that request. If it's a, just a simple thing, it might be easier than a massive thing. And it should be it should be tangible as well. There's no point saying, I just want you to behave better. And what does that actually look like? We have to give concrete examples of what we request from the other person rather than vague. That's so interesting, actually, because it makes me think of sort of circling back to that initial challenge for anyone, which is what do you want to request? What are your needs? And I'm wondering how often and how difficult that is for clients when you see them. For many people, it's very difficult. Some people know what they want and other people just don't know. So it's working with that and it's, it's really turning inwards. Lots of people in communication tend to focus on the other person. So rather than actually turning in and thinking, what is it? What's my part in this? What do I want? They actually put all the focus on the other person, whether that's to fix it, mend it, blame it criticize it gosh I see that so much actually but it would all be fine if you did that yeah so when people come in it must be amazing to start seeing their communication change as a couple and then I guess a relationship could either go on and blossom from learning how to communicate properly or it could go the other way and suddenly someone's realized well actually no this is what I want and the other person can't provide it well that's it with couples therapy there's no guarantee well, relationships is no guarantee. We have to take a chance. And that goes back to vulnerability. Because if we're hiding parts of ourselves, it's not great. It's not going to be the healthiest of relationships. And do you find that most couples, if they've decided to separate and they find themselves in your company, that they are probably fairly amicable with each other because they want to work something out? Yes and no. Some people come into therapy because they don't know whether they want to be in the relationship. So it's about finding out whether they do, which is through expressing your needs and finding out what they are and finding out where you can meet. And some people come in because they really want their relationship to work. I see so many people, Will, that actually are really hurting because they don't know how to connect with the other person. They want to, they have the best intentions and actually they're just not meeting. They're not meeting and it's causing both upset. And in the not meeting, we can read so much into it. They don't care. Not being loved. Dissatisfaction in the relationship. Feeling very isolated. Some people that I see have children. So their communication will always need to go on because they have a different type of relationship. Rather than romantic and partnership, they have a co-parenting relationship. So they owe it to themselves and the children to then be able to communicate in some functional way. So it still goes back to communication, really. And I suppose communication in sex as well, no? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if the communication in the relationship is off, generally, you can bet your bottom dollar that the communication in sex will be off too. Because it's an extension of communication, isn't it? And so intimate. Yeah. Do you think that one gender is better than the other at communication? Not necessarily. I think I've seen people male, female, be aggressive in communication, passive, passive, aggressive, assertive. I think women can sometimes be more passive, aggressive and passive. Culturally, we're conditioned to put others' needs before our own. 
and also got to think about how toxic masculinity comes into that as well men not being able to own their vulnerability and not saying when things are bothering them and feeling that they have to be brave and strong and stoic put on a put on a brave face and and not actually sit and communicate their feelings can we talk actually briefly about passive aggression because i think that's something that people might have heard but they don't necessarily know the meaning of it my barometer for passive aggression is i would say quite good and i don't react well to it well i try actually i take that back i try and react well to it but it can really trigger me actually so what is a definition of passive aggression ultimately it's been emotionally dishonest and indirect initially you're denying your own needs and then you're sort of self-enhanced and the bit and the back of it is a bit aggressive isn't it the back of it is that sting yeah kidney punch yeah yeah it's denying your own needs and not being authentic about what they are so would this be a good example so you turn up late and i say oh don't worry sarah you know it's fine that you i mean you said you turn up at eight and um yeah, I mean, the, the creme brulees are absolutely ruined. But I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter about it. You know, I mean, I could have been getting on with other things, but don't worry about it. Yeah, that's an example of it. And the thing I find about passive aggression, I have worked with someone a couple of years ago and I found this person very passive aggressive. And I have to say, one of my barometers for if I feel someone's being passive aggressive to me is that if I feel I bring it up and it's really petty, then I think they're being passive aggressive to me. Often it's like water, I can't hold on to it. It seems sort of petty to yeah. say, well, you said it in this way. You know, it can seem a bit like, well, what do you mean? I mean, okay, sorry, I said it in that way. You know, it's quite hard, hard to get hold of. Absolutely, it's difficult to get hold of. A lot of it is just a little sting. So I, I've been passive aggressive about my creme brulee. By the way, I've never made a creme brulee. And let's say I'm a person that can tend to be passive aggressive. What would be a better way of communicating with you that I'm upset that you're late? So first of all, take a breath, because when we're really emotional, communication just gets really mixed up and we become a bit dysregulated. So take a breath. And what you might want to do is take some time out. So take some time out and have a think about what the meaning is again for you, why you've become activated and think about what you want to say. So again, you're OK to complain about a behaviour and maybe say, I was upset that you turned up a little bit late. I'm looking forward to enjoying our evening. And it made me upset that you were late for me because maybe it meant that I wasn't really important. So you've got the meaning, you've got the feeling, and you've got what you're thinking. And if someone comes back at that with, because as we've discussed, maybe they're not able or they, they find it uncomfortable to hear my emotional reality and go, well, I mean, it's not my fault. I mean, you know, it, it was the trains. I mean, if I can make the trains run any smoother I would. They're being defensive there and people usually get defensive because they perceive an attack or they feel like they're being attacked. What you could say is yeah the trains are like that they get delayed sometimes thanks for letting me know that that's what was going on for you and I still feel a bit upset. Okay here's the thing I'm really glad we're doing this often what people can do is they could so easily de-escalate a situation by just validating and hearing the person. And yet they find that so difficult to do. It's back to that defence, isn't it? Back to that defence that they have to defend themselves, they're under attack. And what I suggest people do 
is if they are feeling really tense and they're feeling like they're going to defend themselves, I'd invite them just to name what's going on with their partner in that moment. So, okay, I'm feeling quite tense. I don't know what to say. My head's spinning. I don't know what actually I need or think. So just by naming those things where you are, you're communicating, you're building up some intimacy here. This is from both sides. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to fix it. And if the other person can't do it, it doesn't stop you doing it. Just lets them know, feeling a bit tense. It's a bit uncomfortable. I don't like things when, when it's uncomfortable between us. And I guess also we don't have to address something immediately in the moment, do we? We could park it for then. And particularly if we're activated, try and park it, have a good evening. Don't be passive aggressive and then come back to it in a centered way, maybe the next day. That's right. And when couples are having upsetting conversations, if they need to take time out, I would always suggest that they talk together about what that time out looks like and how they can simply convey that in that moment. Then they can use that simple time out to get themselves away, take stock, and they will have agreed beforehand what that timeout looks like, what it's used for when they come back together. Because some people, when somebody takes time out, they think they get really anxious, think that other person's disappeared. <laughs> so to know that actually, well, I'm going to be back in 20 minutes. I'm going to be back in an hour. I need two hours. What about the use of text messages and sort of WhatsApp? Because I would imagine a lot of couples get into arguments little bitty bitty arguments over whatsapp probably more than email yeah it can be really misconstrued can't it all that because it's so reduced and it's quick part of the problems i think is that everybody communicates really rapidly and really quickly not just on text but we're so busy we want to just get things done <laughs> so we reduce our communication which isn't helpful because then people fill in the gaps the other person fills in the gaps with their own meanings, template that they've experienced with past relationships, all the stuff gets put onto that situation and we make assumptions. So do you encourage couples not to have sort of more heightened, let's say, conflict resolution via things like text? I would invite couples not to text when it's anything challenging or anything emotional. And as much as possible, actually have face-to-face -face conversations or even on the telephone, that's better than text or email. Because we can't read people's body language and so much of communication is actually in their body language. So how do you counteract passive aggression? In therapy, you just bring awareness to it. So one thing that I do suggest couples do is to really think about the language that they're using and their own behavior, taking responsibility. I'll ask them what their part is in this how they think they're communicating. Would they communicate like that to their best friend? Or is it just something that they're doing in this relationship? Would they like to be communicated to in that way? So a lot of it is eyes of empathy and being able to see it from the other person's point of view. And the intention, what is it you're really wanting from this communication? What is it you're really wanting? Are you wanting to slap somebody and sting them or have a one-upmanship? Or are you wanting to connect, be understood, have resolution, get your needs met? So it's also bringing some consciousness to around what the intention is. And in couples, on most of our interactions, we want to have good interactions, don't we? That's what I was going to say is I suppose, you know, these kind of 
communications that are happening within relationships, they can and I'm not using the word should, but I can't think of another word, should really be used within business, within friendships, even within daily interaction. Yeah, absolutely. We have communication about everything in our life with everybody that we come into contact with. And even if we're not communicating effectively, we're still communicating. So what is it we're actually showing? Acting out is still communicating in a way. It's not effective, it's not productive, but it's still communicating something. I do have something that might be useful. Oh, go on. I love anything that's useful. Well, for your listeners, I did an invitation and that's to see if they can improve their relationships with doing a bit of an experiment. Let's talk about this. This is great. Okay. Okay. Go on. So what I'm going to invite people to do for the next couple of weeks is do a bit of an experiment. Appreciate the positive aspects of each other. All your friends, the partnership you're in, your boss, whoever it is. All too often, we tend to look at what is lacking in our lives and relationships rather than appreciating what we've got. Being appreciative regularly helps to change your mindset and it helps to change the atmosphere in the relationship because people are feeling valued and it drives people to do their best, whether that's in the workplace, in the friendship, in the romantic partnership, and it increases a sense of security. And it also makes having challenging conversations easier. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is if you're having trouble communicating, to practice communicating about non-emotive subjects, put your thoughts and your feelings in there two to three times a week and take turns in listening and mindfully communicating. And that'll build your skills and build trust in the communication process so that when you do speak about more emotional issues, you've got a platform, an established platform that works for you both. So I would do the appreciation every day. Just find one thing about that person and convey it and say why you appreciate it. What's the meaning? Again, what's the meaning for them? And then the third thing is ask your partner, ask your friend, what is it that makes them feel loved and cared for? Because your showing of love and care might not actually hold the same meaning for them. So for example, if your partner is making you dinner and making you big elaborate dinners, but actually what really makes you feel loved and cared for is a big hug, then it's getting lost in the translation. Mm. So I'd invite everybody just to do that for a couple of weeks and see what happens and check in. But tell your partner, if you're doing this, tell your partner that you're doing it as an experiment. Otherwise, they might, they might think, think something's, something's up. up. Yeah, I love that invitation. And I'm excited by this because I would really love to hear from people who might take up your invitation for a couple of weeks and hear the results. Wouldn't that be brilliant? Just one thing a day, but make sure you tell your partner what you're doing, otherwise they will think something's up. I love it. Thank you so much. I just thought that was so informative and so wonderful. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me, Will. Oh, an invitation. We've got an invitation. I'm gonna do it. In fact, I already started doing it with my friend Alex, who came up to offer me a coffee. I was maybe getting irritated because the ladder was creaking and I was thinking, why is he coming up while I'm recording? And then I thought, no, no, appreciate it. He's gone to get me a bloody coffee. Thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate it. I'll be down in a sec. Change my day. Change my flipping day. And that's what's so good about doing this podcast. You just learn little tricks that can make your life a lot easier. Um, Do get in touch. If you're going to do the invitation, 
let us know yeah and let us know uh, how your communication is within your relationships maybe friendships did you take anything away from hearing about the texting i did so let us know uh, get in touch as ever well we've done the episode on communication and relationships and you're communicating with us thank you very much Hey, Will and Amy. Amy, you're getting a lot of mentions now. Have you noticed that? I think we should start T-shirt saying, I'm Amy's friend. I really enjoyed the episode on forest bathing and how nature can make us feel better. When the weather is good, I try to cycle to work from my house. I go through the heath in Hampstead in London. It always makes me feel like I'm starting my day right, looking at the beautiful dogs running and the breathtaking view of the city in the background behind all the trees. I cherish these little moments of nature in the city and they always put a smile on my face. Well, this is rather lovely. Thank you so much for this episode. Thank you for such a picturesque communication. Hi, Will. I just saw a bat and an owl on a holiday in Cornwall. It was a beautiful feeling to be in the moment. I love nature and I really love the episode on forest bathing. This is brilliant. Now I'm wondering, it almost sounds like you're under the influence of something. <laughs> Are you in Cornwall or are you just in your bedroom on mushrooms? Uh, Will, nature really helps me. I want to move closer to nature to help my complex PTSD and fibromyalgia. I'm with you. I'm with you. I didn't know it was called forest bathing. Neither did I. But I was driving back to home last night and I was thinking about forest bathing. Will, I love your podcast. Oh, my God. I'm so glad I found it. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoy educational podcasts. I'm currently making a macrame backdrop for my wedding and I'm working my way through your episodes whilst doing it. Just wanted to say I found your gut health episode very interesting. It's inspired me to read more into it. And I've now purchased Mr. Spectre's book, on twins, which I'll start reading this week. Well, there we go. I then listened to a podcast with Dr. Chloe Wong, which was a perfect follow-up, talking about epigenetics. I'm going to share your podcast with everyone, especially all my colleagues. I'm a nurse. We like you. Maybe just an option. Could you put it in your macrame backdrop for your wedding? Including the necessary communication for the podcast, which is email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com, Twitter at the wellbeinglab. Instagram and Facebook at the Wellbeing Lab podcast. Next week, we're doing hypnotherapy. It's remarkable. Until then, look into my eyes. <laughs> Goodbye. Did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF and is part of the Acast Creator Network? It's true. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 